It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. It's just been a great morning for some reason. I don't know why I'm feeling so like bubbly. <laughs> so give me a second. <laughs> we let that express in the podcast. I think people will like to get a picture. <laughs> All right. All right. <clears throat> Welcome back, everyone, to the Kriya Yoga podcast. I'm here again with a very special spiritual friend and Kriya Yoga teacher from Ireland, David McGraw. Um, today, I'm going to be interviewing David on a topic which he actually does not know what I'm going to be asking him about. So it's a bit of a surprise. Um, so we'll see how this goes. But in the meantime, uh, welcome, David. It's wonderful to have you. Great to be here, Ryan. I'm a little <laughs> bit concerned, actually, because I feel like in the last podcast that we did, you also had some stuff under your sleeve that I wasn't aware of. Um, uh, let's see what happens here. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this is more straightforward, and I'm sure that it won't be. Uh, it's, it's not under my sleeve. So here, here's, here's the starting question for our podcast. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Is the age of the guru over? No, in one word, um, if I'm going to give lots of words, uh, I would say it's not over, but it also depends on what we mean by guru. Um, <laughs> interesting, because we were talking about concepts before we came on here, and I think the guru, the word guru is, you know, it represents a concept, and then how we interpret or define that concept will, I suppose, to a certain degree, uh, influence how we answer that question, whether it's an absolute no or where it's a kind of no or whatever. Yeah. Well, and, and just so you know, this isn't a trick question. I'm not trying to catch you in something. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, then I guess um, let's start with that, that idea or that term guru. So how would you, how, how would you, or how do you define uh, that idea or concept? I like to just uh, use the definition that Roy used to use, which is essentially a teacher. A guru is a teacher. I know it translates as the dispeller of darkness or the bringer of light. Um, but I've been involved in education for most of my adult life, if not you know, pretty much all my adult life. Um, and so as a teacher, I know that, um, and as an educator, I know that um, depending on how passionate somebody is about their subject matter, it can influence those who are learning from the teacher to a greater or lesser degree. Um, so I think just thinking of guru as a teacher, um, it kind of just simplifies things a lot. It mm -hmm. makes things a little bit more um, accessible for our Western minds who haven't been brought up <laughs> with terms such as guru. Yeah. Right. Well, and that is a good point. The, the idea of guru related to the Western mind, because even in my own experience, while um, 
Mr. Davis being, you know, my Kriya Yoga guru and your, your, your guru, your teacher as well, and him having Paramahansa Yogananda and so on through the lineage. Um, it, for me, it's only recently in, in the last few years, um, a little ways before uh, Roy passed on, that, um, that I was able to accept that statement and I was always able to accept it, but I always felt weird saying it uh, because it brings up all these kinds of misconceptions about what a guru is. And so part of the reason I wanted to talk about this today was um, I think it's important to, to kind of clarify um, what we mean by that when we, when we say that we, what we, what we mean when we say uh, that we have a guru. And in my own experience, it, it seems as important or natural as saying, you know, I'm married to someone like that is my wife or that is my husband or that is my partner. Um, and, and while, of course, some people shy away from saying that because of their commitment issues, and maybe that's the reason, or do you think that's the reason uh, the Western mind might have difficulty kind of claiming this idea or accepting this idea of guru because uh, of commitment issues or, or, or a sense of giving away their power or something like that? Yeah, that, that's, it's a good question. Um, before we came on, we were talking about uh, um, the amount of doubt that we should have in the guru or what the guru says, <laughs> um, where you were quoting Roy or uh, paraphrasing Roy as saying that, uh, well, maybe you'd like to share that. So I can make sure like. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Dave and I were talking about our, our, our mutual trust of each other. And I told him, first of all, there should be at least 2% of me he doesn't trust. <laughs> and, then, and then I remembered, uh, I remembered a discussion that one of his, that one of his students told me that um, uh, Roy said to him, it's okay, or if you trust me 100%, if, if you trust me 100% all the way, well, there's something wrong with you. Uh, but if you trust me 90%, that's probably a, a, that's probably a healthy, it means it's a healthy relationship. Yeah. And I, I just brought that up in reference to the idea of committing to a guru, because the nature of the mind is to doubt. And, and our whole lives we're making decisions and you know for some people that's easier for others it's more difficult and the big decisions can be quite a challenge sometimes to just feel confident that we made the right one and i think that um, because we put we invest so much into the idea of our spiritual awakening and to our um, moving beyond our let's say fragmented states of consciousness and what we're doing this all the while um, acquiring more and more concepts and more and more um, teachings and ideas of how we're going to, supposed to go about doing it. And then when we eat, meet an individual who is offering us a clear instruction or um, a way to go about doing it, we, we face a challenge then because it's, it's trying to just work through everything that we've already learned and then what we're acquiring um, and is what we're inquiring meeting what we've already learned to a sufficient enough degree for us to be able to say, yeah, that's spot on. I'll go with that. I trust mm -hmm. this person. And just getting back to that 90, 90%, 10%, I suppose it's just the degree to which we're able to be comfortable with the 10% of doubt uh, and just get on with it anyway. <laughs> um, I suppose for others, sometimes they just want 100% certainty. And so it can drive them to the point where they're never going to be happy with any one individual giving them the instruction as good as it might be, just because right. their mind won't let them. Um, right. So I suppose that's the influential in terms of their commitment. Yeah. 
Well, that reminds me of a, a story I heard uh, from one of my astrology teacher slash friends. Um, he says, you know, people come to astrology, Jyotish Vedic astrology, because they want to be 100% certain of the results of their actions. And a lot of people who come to astrology are, are looking for that. And uh, he would always say um, they want God to tell them through astrology that they're making the right decision. And he would say, uh, God will let you know if you've made the right decision after you've made it. That, that's when you're going to know for 100% certainty, <laughs> if you've made the right decision or not. <laughs> I think that's a hard thing to, to swallow, but it brings up that whole idea of faith, which is extremely important in this, this process. And faith is a hard thing to, to grasp in itself <laughs> in these days. Yeah, what comes to my mind as you're talking there is, because, you know, we use the term guru, but Roy often, I think more often than not, referred to Paramahansa Yogananda as his master. And I know that will have other connotations for people, depending on how they define that concept of master. But for me, um, you know, when we think of a master in terms of anything, in terms, whether it be golf or karate or, uh, you know, some other pursuit, there's somebody who've, again, invested a lot of their own time and energy into it, have a strong passion about it, and are able to demonstrate skill in that area. And... When we think of a guru as somebody who's sharing the teaching that from their own experience, as a result of their own investing time and energy into, into the practice themselves, then they have the capacity to pass on that knowledge. And the master then is, you know, not necessarily somebody who, it's not some kind of out there concept. It's actually somebody who demonstrates mastery. It's somebody who demonstrates a skill level, which is impressionable, which is actually demonstrative of what they have um, come to know and understand for themselves. And so when we look at an individual um, and we think of where they are themselves, uh, you were talking about God and God, um, letting us know whether we're, we're making the right decisions or if we're uh, living in the right way or not. Um, I don't think a master knows necessarily. Maybe they are more clarified in terms of their conscious awareness, so they're able to be more intuitive with life and, and to act more spontaneously with the flow of things. But I th still think that ultimately it comes back to their having uh, acquired an appreciation for their own being responsible for their life and being responsible for who they are and the, the, their thought processes and their interactions and everything, every aspect of their life. And really, I suppose what they're trying to do is to convey to the person who's with them, the student, the disciple, or whoever it might be that's endeavoring to learn the process, is that ultimately they have to become responsible, absolutely responsible, um, and responsible even though they don't know. So even though they might want their Vedic reading to kind of put this certainty on things, that's, I suppose, what defines the master is the fact that they're able to live with life, trusting life, and accepting full responsibility for every single thing that they, um, that they do in terms to create an extra ripple with life. Yeah. And I'd heard Roy uh, talk about that term master and um, how, again, the idea of, of these words and these concepts like guru, and I even have uh, students and individuals who have a really hard time with using the term God. 
like that, 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 that bothers them because of how they've been raised. And so now we bring up the word master and, you know, for certain people that can have some really uh, harsh connotations, but um, Roy would, would talk about the reason that um, we referred to say Shirkteshwar as master, as um, uh, master Mahasaya or uh, Roy referred to Yogananda as master. It's because they were, like you're saying, they were masters of their states of consciousness. So it's like an acknowledgement of their, of what they're capable of. Yeah. And, and I, that's the, that's the sticking point. It's always uh, difficult because again, the, the term God, the term guru, the term master, these can really take on some negative connotations because they've been attributed to people who've misused or abused their power. And that's, that's a hard thing. And I still don't, I still don't know how to, to encourage people to get beyond it other than just to have this kind of conversation and hope to hope to encourage them to look at it just from a little bit different viewpoint or, or to break their attachment to these, these, uh, uh, the, the other context that they're bringing into it. You have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I think um, what comes to mind just when you're talking about all that, I think people want certainty that what they're choosing or the, the, the individual that they're choosing as being their master or guru to be someone which won't let them down, <laughs> someone which will like stand through every trial. Um, and the truth is that nobody's perfect. <laughs> and I think I had that illusion um, when I started out and even probably when I met Roy for the first time, I remember meeting Roy for the first time. And I had these notions, well, a master isn't going to do this, and a master is not going to do that, and the guru is going to be like this, and the guru is going to be like that. And Roy pretty much, um, not through any direct action, but just by, by my getting to know him as a, you know, because I spent a couple of years in CSA, I got to know more about just the way he moved through life. And, uh, and you know, He's just an individual living life. Um, the only difference is, as you talk, his states of consciousness and how he approaches things is with clarity. But I can never really, really be able to know that because I'm not in his I'm not in his, his um, not seeing the world from his perspective. So it's, it's impossible for me to know that. So all I'm seeing is the outside uh, goings on. And I might be going off point here a little bit, but I just remember one time at CSA, you know, I was young and I, I was curious to see how Roy handled different situations, you know, because he's the master. He needs to know, he needs to do everything perfectly because that's what the master does. Um, and I remember there was a guy who used to come to CSA, I can't remember his name, but he used to be, uh, take care of the, he, the garden, basically, of the, the lawns. He used to cut the lawns and trim the trees. And... Um, he wasn't the Kriya Yoga practitioner. He had nothing to do with going to services or anything like that. But he knew Roy, obviously, as his employer. So um, one day, Roy was coming. He came down in the car towards the office. He got out of the car. And then this guy who was just cutting the grass had just turned off his tractor lawnmower and saw Roy and just shouted over, hey, Roy, hey, Roy. It was very, you know, of the, you know, very local, very informal, very kind of just um, jovial, just saying hello. 
And uh, I was very curious, like, how's Roy going to deal with this? How's going to Roy deal with this person who's not a Kriya Yoga practitioner, who doesn't know anything about the CSA? Doesn't, how's he going to manage this? And Roy just said, hey, how's it going? And just saluted him. And it was, it was just as normal as could be. But I was kind of building up this expectation. Well, Roy is the master. He's this individual who has this kind of, I suppose, power in my mind, this kind of idea that he's going to be able to exude this um, um, his influence upon everybody, you know? <laughs> um, and all he did was just be another human being having this interaction. And I think that's the beauty of it, is that masters are very much aware of the fact that they are just human beings. Um, and it's the, it's the people who come to them for guidance and for uh, instruction that put them on a pedestal of being something absolutely incredible. But I suppose where they merit um, and deserve credibility is the fact that they have been so disciplined and adhered to the practices which have allowed them to get clear in their minds. And also they've taken full responsibility for every aspect of who they are in this world. Um, but they don't see themselves as being saintly. I know that we, we you can use that term saintly, but really that's just another concept of um, which can blind us to the fact that we are all human. <laughs> Um, yeah and yeah we all just have to take responsibility yeah yeah and that's um that's one thing that, that i've thought about a lot um i've i've talked about this a few times in some classes and maybe in another podcast so hopefully the listeners will bear with me um but there's a story in autobiography of a yogi and i i, I need to really review it because i've talked it about three times and i still <laughs> don't get it right but i get the general idea it, it was it was one of the teachers in the lineage and i believe it was probably um swami shrikteshwar and um in that story uh babaji is appearing to or visiting with swami shrikteshwar and at first uh Swami Shrikteshwar can't—he's—he can't see him. Like it, it, he's not able to perceive him. And Babaji then later says something like, well, I, "I was hiding behind the sunbeams this whole time, but your mind was so disturbed or, or churned up or um, active that you couldn't perceive. You couldn't perceive me." And I, I've thought about that story a lot uh, because what I noticed is. Um, if our minds are really active or really stressed out or really tense, we could be sitting across from the, I'm using air quotes here, the, the holiest person or the most saintly or the clearest person in the world. And we're not going to recognize it because we're just so caught up in our own churning of stuff. And I've seen this happen uh, very often uh, with people around Mr. Davis and even other individuals I know who are quite uh, clear and healthy-minded people. Um, I, I remember even one person, one teacher, he was, um, he was uh, in a healing discipline that, that I had studied. Um, he was probably one of the clearest, most brilliant people I had ever met uh, in regards to his capacity for healing. And um, I was at a training with them and at lunch one time I heard someone talking and they're like, I don't even know why I'm here. He has just such a dark cloud around him. And then I went on to hear how they were talking about negatively about everyone. And I thought, wow, that's crazy. I've never experienced that. I've never seen that in this guy. Um, and I, I recognized that their state of consciousness was kind of reflecting what, what they were seeing. 
And um, uh, I was listening to a talk uh, from Christopher Sartain in Chile, also a student of uh, Roy Davis and a Kriya Yoga teacher. And he was talking about the three kinds of gurus, the, um, the awakener, the, the reminder, and the liberator. And um, he was discussing how uh, the liberator, just by being in their presence, um, you will naturally wake up and get clear. And I remember hearing stories of Ramana Maharshi. And there are people who had met Ramana Maharshi that didn't, ex didn't feel or experience anything. And other people who acted like as soon as they got in his presence, their mind was just utterly calm and clear and tranquil. And I think that kind of leads us to the idea of, of our own self-responsibility that while there can be gurus, there can be teachers, they can be, there can be these saintly people. But if our own consciousness is all bent out of shape and neurotic uh it's it's not necessarily going to benefit us in the way that a lot of these stories act like it should there there has to be some kind of readiness there it seems i think yeah, any I think, any thoughts on that i think that pretty much nail, hits the nail on the head um it's just to the degree that, that we're ready to receive or to hear uh, what's being shared and I don't mean like actually just hearing the words. I mean the capacity to uh, actually assimilate those words or take them on board. Um, when you were talking there about the three types of gurus, that was kind of flickering through my mind because I remember Roy used to talk about the three uh, kinds of gurus as well. And I'm sure it's um, within other ancient texts. They probably talk about it in different ways. But I, I always think about it as, you know, you've got a teacher who just has the has the knowledge to just share it like they have received the knowledge they have a kind of the teaching skills to be able to share the knowledge and so you're able to get it from them like that um pretty much like you could from a textbook but you've got that personal bulb approach and they can answer some of your questions and then you've got another kind of teacher yeah they have all that knowledge but they've actually investigated and used it and applied it to such degree that they've actually had some insight of their own and an awareness of and so you know that is is contagious because when you when when some when you meet somebody like that whatever the discipline might be not not just uh, in yoga practice or kriya yoga practice but i remember i you know i i've taught a few different subjects but i remember being in a classroom teaching art um and i i'm not an artist as in i don't dedicate my time to uh creating art um but one of the students was just turned around to me and said yeah, it's just that, you know, you're, you're, you're really passionate about this because you're an artist. And I realized afterwards, no, she's like, she, she doesn't have a, that's not right at all. I'm not an artist. I don't even see myself as an artist, but I'm passionate about teaching. And also I, I've been through art college and I've created art. So I know to, you know, I've had an experience from it. So I'm able to share it from that level where she hasn't been through that. So she can't appreciate it. And then the third kind of teacher is the kind, uh, the liberator, I suppose, is the person who is, well, they would be the artist, I suppose. <laughs> um, and sometimes they don't actually even know necessarily the words to put on things because they, that kind of just taints it all. It, gets, it loses its mystery. Um, so what they'll, they'll just be able to convey the message as Ramana Maharishi did, just through the silence and just through the consciousness that they're exuding, you know, the, where they are in terms of how they perceive everything which is going on. So... Yeah, I, 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 I think it's useful to look at the three different types of teachers just in terms of 
what's available to us, you know, um, and then just not to disregard something just because we think we're higher or above it, you know, it's kind of, or that it doesn't resonate with us fully because um, there's one thing I've learned, and this is just an add on to what we're talking about is that I considered Roy to be my guru, to be my teacher. I considered him to be a master uh, as in, I considered him to have mastered this living condition and to have mastered his states of consciousness. You know, it's it's my consideration and <laughs> it doesn't really bear much. That's, you know, it's just my own opinion, but I actually considered it like that. Um, and I remember when we were at, you and I were there one year at uh, Richard Fish. Um, we were at his place for a Kriya Yoga initiation the first year, but then the following year I went back again and I was talking about my relationship with Roy, I think it was, or I was talking about my experiences in CSA because most of the people there hadn't been at CSA. And afterwards, one of the people, you know, people are asking questions and one of the people present asked me, so do you consider Roy to be your guru? Um, and she says, it sounds like you consider Roy to be your guru. Is he your guru? And I just thought, I, thought, I don't think I'd really, you know, investigated it absolutely, but I answered yes. It was just like, yeah, because he's giving me everything that I need to be able to progress. And like I've, I've read books and I've had uh, been on retreats um, with where there was other people teaching and I, I've um, had the benefit of receiving instruction from other people. Um, and so they've all had their uh, played their part in terms of uh, stretching me in my understanding and giving me information to to be able to move forward. But Roy was the one person I could felt I could return to consistently um, and not just get the instruction, but also find support and also, and not necessarily support as in, I have this problem, help me out with it. Just support as in he was a, a beacon uh, that I could look towards and guide, find guidance and also just inspiration. Um, and so it wasn't, and initially, as I pointed out earlier, I was kind of like, I had this expectation that he was going to be some kind of perfected person, this kind of great person who could wield his, yield his power upon everybody or, you know, that kind of thing. Childish notions, really. But, yeah. but uh, it's, when I grew out of it and when I, just through the process of being in his company and uh, the application or my own commitment to my practice, um, you just begin to realize that actually, uh there's no one guru really it's all guru <laughs> it's all going on as the as the light which is guiding us the consciousness itself is allowing itself to wake up in that paradoxical way um and i just found that roy was uh um, my go-to figure for that but yeah. since then i and I, it took me a while to accept this the um, I think I, I maybe I was too, at one point, I got too overly um, uh, maybe aligned to just receiving teaching from Roy that I didn't allow teachings to come from other areas or I was judgmental of them more. I, um, and it, but again, you know, with, with time, I, I came to know that actually there's teachings coming all the time. And even just talking to you, Ryan, um, <laughs> even just, I didn't mean to put that in as a quantifier, but what I'm saying is, the, you know, talking to any individual, be, be it a sibling or a parent or just someone you meet in the street, I think there's always a moment, an opportunity for gaining insight and learning, whatever it might be, as subtle as it might be. Um, but it's just when you have a go-to figure and somebody that you can continuously return to, that just creates a kind of more a consistent learning. 
as opposed to an ad hoc learning that you're where you're very much dependent on your own capacity to discriminate and discern what the learning is when you're able to have this go fit to figure to to return to you have something to measure it off a framework uh, this individual that represents and shares you know hope that yeah. makes sense yeah. yeah yeah it does and um um, you know, one other aspect of it that I'd like to, to touch upon and get, get your thoughts about, um, I, I just, I just keep thinking more and more about this idea of teacher or guru, and we're just using those as terms, but that, that relationship, uh, in the same way that I think of like a committed long-term relationship again with like a, a wife, a husband, a partner, a spouse, or a friend even. And, um, and, you know, in my own experience, early on in life, I wouldn't say that I necessarily had friends that I trusted 98%. <laughs> I had friends, I had people that I spent time with that I enjoyed, but you know, I didn't always, I didn't always uh, feel that, that deep, profound connection. And as the years went on, and, and I attribute this to the practice of yoga, Kriya Yoga, the Yamas and the Niyamas, essentially just those ideas of trying to be a person to the best of your ability with integrity, who's trying to be committed and disciplined, who, who's just trying to embody those, those, those yogic ideals or those, those sattvic qualities. What I found was, is I started to recognize people whom were... I don't want to use the word worthy, but we're, it's like I could recognize that, yes, these are people that I can trust, that these are friendships that will develop long-term. And they weren't based on any kind of um, bursts of hormones or shared uh, intense experiences. It was as though, uh, like when you're, when, you're, when you're first in love, well, when you're first in love, it's all hormones and, 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 and expectations and uh, Romeo and Juliet syndrome. And most people, once that fades away, then the relationship breaks down, falls apart, and people don't like each other anymore. But if individuals are able to get past that and just recognize the person I am with, I can trust if I need them. If, and if they can, they will come. If I have a question for them and they can answer it, they will. If they can't, they will tell me the truth and that they won't. And so that kind of relationship develops to where you start meeting people and you feel a sense of you know, I trust you. And it's not a hope. It's not a, I hope I can trust you. It's a knowing that they are there and that they are a, a presence in your life and, and will do what they can uh, if, you, if you truly need them. And they're there to share uh, life with you. And, you know, when it comes to, again, love relationships, it's the same thing. When you get to that point of being able to know that that person is there to support you and be with you and not lie to you and tell you, call you on your bullshit when they need to, and you can take it and listen to it and, and, and contemplate it and listen to it or not, uh, that's a real strong love and uh, I think that um, that's why it might be so hard with this idea of, of the guru, because, you know, in our current situation, the, the culture, the way it is, um, you know, gurus are promoted to be up on a pedestal. And I think they should be up on a pedestal if they inspire that kind of love and trust. And you're able to have that kind of relationship with integrity, because that is, in my experience, very worthwhile. Um, probably one of the most important things that you can have. And, and so, 
I guess I'm trying to, to tease out this idea of moving from the idea of guru as the, the person who has superpowers uh, that can save you to that, that person who really embodies uh, a sense of deep love and respect. And, and just one story comes up, and this, this occurred to me recently. And uh, again, I believe I've talked about this somewhere else, but I was um, having a conversation with one of Mr. Davis's Roy's uh, long, long time students who's been a student and, uh, of Roy's even before I was born. So a long time. I'm not that old, but uh, you get the idea. And um, one thing she said to me, and uh, I didn't, when she said it, I didn't take it in an egotistical way. At least I don't think I did. What she said was, uh, you have to remember, Ryan, Roy adored you. And when I heard those words, I didn't all of a sudden puff up and think, oh, my goodness, yes, the guru adores me. I'm so much better than every other student that was out there. What it did to me was it, 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 like it touched me in such a way that I recognized, well, that's perfect because I adored him. And not in the sense of the pedestal, yeah. but in the sense of knowing that I could go to him and I could be myself. And he may or may not agree with it, but we had such rapport that it was okay. And there was that kind of connection, that, that communication. And so now when I think of that idea, when hearing her say, he adored you, again, it, it just reminds me that this is the importance, I think, of a real guru relationship, but it's also the importance of any healthy relationship. You should adore your friends. You should adore, you know, your spouse or your partner, because when you have that kind of adoration, you have love. And uh, I have one more thing, and then I'll turn it back over to you. Um, <laughs> the idea of love came, came to mind again. And um, I realized, you know, when you love something, many people think that love uh, changes everything or love heals everything. And I don't think that's true because if love is there to change or to heal or to transform things, is that really love? Because then it's, then it's for something like love is for its own sake. Love is you love someone or you love something just because it inspires that sense, that devotion, not because you want it to be a certain way, not because you want it to change, not because you want it to be better, but just for the sake of being in that state of love. And I think that when we hear these uh, discussions of like Yogananda, when he talks about loving his guru and, and the love between them, you know, that can make some people feel a little weird because they don't under, they don't, they've never felt that with any relationship. And so it's, it's, it's strange. It doesn't feel right. It feels taboo, but really I think that is, that is probably could be the highest kind of love that could exist, which is why I think uh, trying to recognize or work with, or, or have that kind of relationship or, or hold it in your mind that it is possible to have that intention uh, is a very worthwhile thing. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up and I'm curious, you know, what, what your thoughts might be uh, on those types of things. Yeah, well, as you were speaking, you know, um, different ideas and different responses came to mind. I'm just trying to pick which one to focus in on here. I think uh, what comes to mind, one of the things that comes to mind, and as I said, there was many, but one that I'll just uh, expand on is, uh, you know, in the Holy Science, when Sri Yukteswar describes um, the sattvic quality, I suppose, the quality of, he describes it, describes it as attractiveness, this kind of unifying force, this harmonizing force. Um, and when you talk about love changing things or, you know, that, that sounds aggressive, that sounds more kind of rajastic, it's kind of like, but um, 
I feel that when we look at love as being a unifying force uh, and when we experience it within relationships, um, in its pure form, it, you know, there will be conflicts, there'll be ups and downs, there'll be challenges and different things, but it's this desire for us to experience oneness where we want to feel uh, that we're unified as expressions of this reality. Um, and so in that sense, I think that the challenges and the ups and downs, they give those moments of challenge which allow us to get closer almost. Uh, well, actually, they do actually let us get closer and they allow us to purify ourselves so as to be able to be closer. And then in other relationships, that will have a consequence. So it's this, this kind of unifying uh, movement which is going on. And I, that's the way I think of love. Um, now I'm going to move on just because you were talking about uh, in relation to Roy and um, and also Paramahansa Yogananda in relation to his relationship with Sri Yogeshwar and the loving relationship that they experienced. I think there's two things that go on for people when they when they desire to find their guru. One is that they want to find a perfect being that they can call a master who has it all figured out and that will make, help them to feel reassured, that kind of thing. And I think the other thing that goes on is that they want to have a loving relationship. And when you were saying there that uh, that, that um, student of Roy's said to you that you he adored you, I think that is perhaps probably what people are looking for. Even when Paramahansa Yogananda goes into great detail talking about his relationship with Sri Yukteswar, that's what people are looking for. They're looking for that kind of intimate relationship. And I know when I arrived at CSA, I was, I had that in mind. I was like, yeah, Roy's going to be, you know, I, I knew because we had been in correspondence for a couple of years before I actually went there. Um, but I had in mind that, yeah, it's going to be like Paramahansa Yogananda with Sri Yukteswar. We're going to have that. And I'm going to, he's going to iron out all my kinks <laughs> as Paramahansa Yogananda stated in the autobiography of Yogi. But that wasn't the case at all. Roy met me and we chatted and um, he was very welcoming towards me. Um, but I had an interaction with him, like one-on-one -on -one interaction, probably for one hour um, every week, I think. You know, I was there for three months the first year. So it was weekly. We met for one hour. But it wasn't this intense kind of relationship where he was always kind of at my side um, with the opportunity to discern where I'm getting things right and getting things wrong. Uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a more distant type of relationship. Um, and if I'm going to relate that back to the kind of relationship that you had with Roy, you would have had a far closer relationship in terms of it went over a longer period of time. Um, you had more, there was more frequency to the visits and, you know, and he allowed that, he facilitated that because I suppose that's, you know, it's just we all have different types of relationships with different people. Yeah, yeah. you want to say something in there? Yeah, I, so remember what, what you're going to say so we don't lose your train of thought. Yeah. Okay. Um, the only reason I wanted to interrupt there is because I, I want to clarify that um, it was only after someone else told me and Mr. Davis passed <laughs> that, I, that I recognized what I just described. But what you were talking about, being with him and sitting there with him, uh, I don't know if it was different than what you're describing, because in my experience, it was uh, just being there and listening to him talk. But the thing that I, there, there was, there, the thing that I, I always felt though, as I was sitting there with him, you know, drinking tea and listening to him talk, was there was no expectations, meaning 
it was, it was, I, I was comfortable. Like it was as if all, all, all that is important is just be here and just share this time and this tea and this presence and whatever he wants to talk about or whatever questions he asks. So um, that in my mind, that undercurrent of comfort or ease or naturalness, I think naturalness might be more the word um, to, to me over, over the years of meeting with him. Uh, that is what I, that is what I remember. And that is, you know, in a sense, what I judge my, my own now good relationships with, you know, because when, when I feel that around people and there's no need to do anything, be anything, you can just be present. Uh, that, that seems like the most important thing. So anyway, when I hear what, what you're saying, like that doesn't sound any different than what my experience was. So again, um, uh, you talk about having this, uh, this idea of, um, profound declarations of, of love and these types of things. Well, I never experienced that with Roy, but he's, we spent time together. And, and it was as though there was a sense of understanding each other, which I think is what made the difference, trying to understand what he was getting at, what he was sharing. And there were certain things that it took me three to four years before I had to look back and say, oh, yeah, <laughs> I guess he was right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I, I understand where you're coming from. I'm, how he was with you was the same as he was with me. He wasn't yeah. any different. I understand that um, the point I'm kind of, uh, trying to describe is just in terms of when when people go to find a guru or an endeavor to meet a guru they have these expectations of what it's going to be like and i know that after reading the autobiography of a yogi i was kind of like i want to find a guru who's going to be with me and guide me and have that perfect being uh, kind of character and also yeah, the kind of character which is very loving and when in terms of when we were both went to CSA, I had the privilege of having interactions with Roy. Um, if we were going to compare, we could say that you had more interactions. With yeah, Roy. just over time. That's all. That's it. And it, that's, yeah. it's that earning of the trust and the earning of, um, you know, it doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't mm -hmm. happen just from visiting a place once or meeting a teacher once. You don't have this person uh, just um take you under their wing like that but also one different thing and this is where i'm getting at that idea of experiencing what paramahansa yogananda experienced with sri yukteswar i genuinely believe that most of us wouldn't be cut out for that because uh, sri yukteswar was hard uh, disciplinarian and he was always on paramahansa yogananda's case and like for paramahansa yogananda to turn around and, and express his love for him after that I think a lot of us would have called it abuse, you know. I think a lot of us would have turned around and said, "What the heck? you know, we wouldn't have been able to take it." Yeah. And uh, it's I think this what I'm really trying to describe here is just there's layers of how we experience um the master or the teacher that we uh, have the privilege uh, privilege of engaging with. And I experienced Roy in a, a way which was perfect for what I needed and if I had, if he had given me more time, or if you know he had spent two hours instead of one hour, who I don't know, I could have gotten warped in my thinking. I could have, you know, it would have built up a more of an expectation in me. It was just ideal for what I needed. What you needed, I think, you know, was in line with what you needed, yeah. and I think that's kind of it. It's just it, it it expresses just as we needed, and Paramahansa Yogananda got it just as he needed, which was with a high degree of intensity. So I think the expectations that we hold when we go into finding the teacher and finding the master, 
they're all going to be challenged. And that's the whole essence of finding the guru is to accept that, that finding your guru isn't going to be a comfortable thing. It's actually going to shake you up big time because it's going to just challenge all your doubts. And you can see that even Paramahansa Yogananda in his book, you know, he talks about that moment when, when, when Sri Yukteswar was at the end of the alleyway and there was like, he was immobilized and he couldn't move around. He talks about it like that. But I'm sure there was a part of him, and there was a part of him all the way up before that, where he had met other teachers, and he was always just kind of, no, not them, not them, not them. But uh, as much as he describes it in the book in a very kind of black and white kind of manner, I think that uh, it's not always as black and white for most people, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, even with that story, what I always find great about it is, you know, Yogananda has been looking for this teacher for his whole life and finally he meets him and Shrikteshwar says, I will declare my unyielding love to you. Can you do the same for me? And Yogananda says, yes, of course I will. And then he says, well, will you do as I say? And Yogananda says, oh, of course. And then uh, Swami Shrikteshwar says, uh, go back home and go to college. <laughs> and Yogananda is like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And then yeah. Shrikteshwar says, well, who knows? Maybe I won't be so nice the next time. <laughs> I mean, that's the general paraphrase. I know it's a little but out that of That kind of sums it up perfectly, you know. Yeah. We, like, I, 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 I'm talking from my experience with Roy because I only have that to, to kind of that I can talk about. But I know that I definitely felt challenged in the first three months I spent in CSA. I was challenged very uh, vividly just because I went in with a lot of expectations. The second year I was in CSA, you know, that whole twelve month or eleven month lapsed, whatever how many months it was, I ended up. Uh, accumulating other expectations. So I think it's just our nature that we, we, and I think what it comes down to is that we're just passing the responsibility to the master. <laughs> really, yeah. when it comes to it, it's just that it's just not ready to claim responsibility yet ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that's what the process is. And the master that we do receive will be one which is aligned to our degree to be able to be responsible. Yeah. Well, I, that, that last statement you made, you made previous statements, and that reminded me again of the discussion with um, the, the longtime student of, of, of Roy's. And um, I, had, I had told her, uh, you know, my late wife, Melissa, and I, we had both uh, become uh, involved in Kriya Yoga at the same time and spent a lot of summers uh, and winters uh, at, at Center for Spiritual Awareness with Mr. Davis. And um, Melissa would always say, um, because we met him when he was, I, I think, 69. And so we got the last 18 or so years of his life. And um, she would always say, I think we got the best version of Roy. Yeah. She, she, she would always say that she said, she would say, I think we got the best version of Roy and um, the student that I've been talking about. Uh, she would talk about her experiences with, with Mr. Davis previously when he, when he was younger and he was a little different when he was younger. I mean, there's a reason that uh, the books that he published, you know, 50 or more books that he'd published since he's been in ministry, there was a reason he didn't keep a lot of those in print. And when people would ask about that, he would say, um, because they don't reflect my current state of consciousness. And that makes perfect sense. And um, she told me, this woman uh, told me, um, I'm sure she wouldn't mind if I used her name, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm just yeah. trying to be safe here. Um, she said, uh, uh, she said, we, we get the guru that we need. And also 
if we stick around long enough, you know, as, even as the guru's uh, consciousness shifts and changes and becomes more clarified, um, that that will also be uh, appropriate to to what we need. So, um, it, what you were saying just kind of reminded me of that that idea. Yeah, and. and uh... What comes to mind when you're telling that story, because Roy himself, I remember talking to him in one of our one-on-one sessions. Yeah. <laughs> and he uh, he was talking about uh, Sri Paramahansa Yogananda when he, the way he was in his latter years was far different to how he was when he started off Self-Realization Fellowship and right. even in his writings. And because I remember, I think it was because I had seen a video of Paramahansa Yogananda explaining how to sleep consciously. You people don't know how to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And uh, and Roy just said, yeah, you know, he was different in the earlier days because, you know, he he was trying to gain uh, um, attention. And and also he had different motivations and different things. But also we all know, you know, when you're younger, you have a different type of energy than when you're older and then you're in sites are different and everything yeah so it's all relevant yeah yeah well anyway um wow this has been a, a wonderful conversation um do you have any final thoughts or anything you'd like to say uh, about this idea of is the is the age of the guru over or should we just call it a day i'll just say that uh, i think we've been talking now for close on an hour maybe 50 minutes and um I think the guru was present here during this <laughs> conversation. And I don't mean that in some kind of holy kind of magical way. I mean, it just like I'm now reflecting on everything I've said and things you've said. And I think all of that is room for insight and clarity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, thank you for being here, uh, David. It's been wonderful to see you. And I'm sure we'll, we'll have another discussion sometime soon. Perfect. Yes. And, and, and before we go, though, um, so you, you are actively teaching in Ireland. Um, what, what kind of what contact information would you give for people who want to um, you know, find out about your classes and your offerings? I think, um, yeah, the main one would be I have a YouTube channel where there's a series of videos there. Um, and the YouTube channel goes by the name of Kriya Yoga Meditation and Living. Okay, Kriya Yoga, Kriya Yoga Meditation and Living on YouTube. So if they search for that on YouTube, you'll pop up. Exactly. And then there's also, I do have meetings like in December, we're going to have, I'm not sure when you're going to broadcast this um, podcast, but in December, we'll, I'm hosting some meditation meetings um, and you can find out about them. I suppose the best way, if you go onto Facebook and you put in Kriya Yoga Meditation Coach, you get a Facebook page and you can message me there. Well, this will be after December, so go ahead and check that for his future offerings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much, David. It's wonderful to see you, and we'll be in touch soon. A pleasure always, Ryan. Take care. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.